Now we are in Matthew chapter 13, and as we've been going through Matthew 13, we have found ourselves in a section of the Gospel of Matthew where we are going to be looking at parables. And Jesus is sharing one parable after another, one after another, after another. Now, before I get to the parables, I'd like to take you back to my childhood. I don't know what it was. Last week we talked about reading Rainbow, and I was thinking about that, right? And then, uh, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is what happens if you're older than me. Maybe you can tell me if this is true or not. But the idea that I keep having these, like, not flashbacks, well, maybe, but just these memories of me being younger, more so now than have ever happened in my life. And I just, I think of them, generally speaking, fondly. I think kind of the filter for memory, you know, for me anyway, is those hard times, those really difficult times. I don't really, since I don't focus on them, I'm not really remembering them quite as well. But boy, there's some really endearing like thoughts that I have that just, you know, all of a sudden you're just kind of in a daydream for a little bit, just thinking about something from your past where you go, that was really cool. I remember, um, again, watching PBS as a child and I remember seeing Sesame Street. And Sesame Street, they had this one uh, uh, part in there in one of the episodes where you had uh, Big Bird and Big Bird is looking at, um, well, I think we have a picture of it here. <clears throat> We might have a picture. It, uh, Big Bird is looking at bowls. There's four bowls. It's kind of hard to see. There's four bowls over here. And, you know, he starts to say something here. Cookie Monster, in a, you know, episodes later, he also, Cookie, he has his four plates there. But then he starts going, uh, Big Bird started to sing this song. One of these things is not like the other. You know, and so I was like, and I just, I just started to get some of those, like the tune of that in my head. And I just like, oh yeah, I remember that song. So then I had to quickly YouTube it to see it. And I was like, yep, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the way I remembered it. And, uh, and it's Big Bird going, you know, which, what's different kids with one of these. And I remember being one of those kids going, that bowl is bigger. That one bowl is bigger. And then uh, for Cookie Monster, he's like, you know, one, one of these cookies is different, you know, kind of thing. And it's like. One of them has three cookies on it, and the other one, the others only have two. And so I really, you know, I really liked those kind of like, you know, you, you kind of look for what's different kind of a thing. And it's kind of, it's a game to try to figure out what's different. And so then I came across, and so then that starts to lead this pastor on a slight trail. Some may call it a rabbit trail, but let's just go with it for a moment. So then I found this image of some adorable cats, right? One of these things is not like the others. Wait a second. Wait a second. You know, on a quick glance, maybe on a little thumbnail, you're just going, I don't know the difference. Oh, wait, there's a difference. There's definitely a difference. And then you just want to go, okay, I want a difficult one. Like, I want a harder one. Give me a harder one. So then there's this one of a picture of sushi. And uh, I think we might, yeah, so there's a picture of sushi, right? So you start like, okay, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Four, four or lemon slices, the ginger, the what is the and, and this one, like I had to resize this image for you because I thought it would be hard for some of you to see it. But you see what they did, right? Do you see this piece right here? Like it's not even fully in the image. It's like just barely in there, only on that image and not on that image. So I was like, you dirty dogs, you like, look what you've done there. Oh, yeah, and then this one here is missing some of the, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, not, wait, okay, stop it, change it before we, okay, no, uh, but, but, right, so it's one of those things where you start to look at and you go, oh, yeah, there's that, and there's that, and you're like, I'm going to try to find the differences. 
my wife, she received... Um, uh, so the, here's the thing. The level of difficulty has been increasing with each one of these um, examples I've given. It's going to actually be a, the pinnacle of the difficulty level. If you thought that was like, okay, that, that was a little bit more difficult than the other two, this one's going to take it to the next level. So you have to really be ready here. And this is a... Um, a picture that my wife actually showed me, she received it. And so this is the ultimate level of difficulty. Take a look at this one here. Okay. So this is one that Xander, our son, who was four at the time, gave my wife. She, and he's like, mom, can you tell the difference? <laughs> it's my favorite, it's my favorite, can you tell the difference picture that I've, I've ever seen. And so, um, this morning, what in the world are you doing, right? Where does this go? Uh, this morning, Jesus is going to share a parable with us, a story. It's story time with Jesus, but it's an earthly story that has a spiritual meaning to it. And it's a really easy story to understand, but what each of us needs to do is then go, wait a second, what does it mean? And so the title of this morning's message... I, Now that I think about it, it would have been better if it was called One of These Things is Not Like the Other. But the title of this morning's message is Dealing with Weeds. Dealing with Weeds. And we're going to start in Matthew 13, verse 24. But would you please agree with me in prayer as we start? Papa, as we come before you this morning, we thank you that you've brought us here again together. We thank you for your presence in our life. That you've seen us and been with us from the moment we were conceived. And Lord, you will see us in every moment of our life all the way till our last breath here on this earth. We thank you that you're so observant of us and you're so thoughtful. We thank you for your word that we can know you better, that we can understand your heart, that we can understand what's important to you, that we can bring our lives in line with you. Papa, this morning we ask that you would teach us through your word Holy Spirit, empower me for the work of the ministry this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus speaking. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in a field, in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the the wheat and went away. Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Oh, okay. So story here, a parable being told by Jesus. Again, in their time, they would have no difficulty understanding the meaning of this parable in the sense of understanding what he was talking about. We may look at it and go, huh, the ESV uses the words, um, 
weeds, and it also talks about wheat. So wheat and weeds. In some of your Bibles, it may say the word tares, T-A-R-E-S, instead of weeds. But either way, for what our English translation would be, the listener for Jesus would have understood exactly the story that Jesus was speaking here. Remember, last week we looked at what a parable was, and we looked at it as it's three different things. It could be three different things. A window, a mirror, and a door. A a window, a mirror, and a door. A window because it gives us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Not a perfect, full, expansive view, but just a window to see what God's kingdom is like. The other thing that a parable could be like is like a mirror, because when we listen to a parable, we're supposed to look at ourselves in the parable. So as we read a parable, we have to say, how do I fit into this parable? And then the door, a window, a mirror, and a door. How is it a door? A door because a parable is an invitation by Jesus. It's an invitation to have a relationship with him. And so chapter 13 is going to be each of these things. Each parable is going to be a window, a mirror, and a door. You know, the, the thing with this, as we look at this story here, we can see that something else was growing in this field. It wasn't just wheat. It was these tares or these weeds that were growing. It was like a counterfeit that was being um, grown right alongside the actual um, harvest, the actual grain that would be valuable. I've noticed this, that in this world, the things that are counterfeited are things that are valuable. And the more valuable it is, the greater the desire for some people to make a counterfeit. But if something is relatively cheap, I mean, I don't know about any massive uh, penny counterfeiting ring that's happening anywhere in the United States where you've got people in their basements counterfeiting pennies. It's just not worth it. Or nickels, or dimes, or quarters, or dollar bills. Do you get the point? Like, if it's not valuable, it's not worth the effort to counterfeit. But when things start to increase in value, either actual or perceived value, then you see the increase of counterfeiters. You know, whether it's antiquities, whether it's, you know, here's some coins. Well, Roman coins. Are they Roman coins or are they, wait, what is the stamp on the back? Made in where? Wait, what is that? You know, a picture, a painting, that's been faked, a forgery. Do, not dollar bills, but hundred dollar bills. Okay, well, for, okay, that's worth forging for some people there. I worked in a company where we worked on electronics and computer chips, and, and this is what blew me away. I had no idea. So we get stuff, and, and you know, you're soldering and you're doing stuff on circuit boards, and you're fixing these, the, you're, you're fixing these boards. And as you're doing them, there's times where it wouldn't work. Like you'd get spare parts and you'd start fixing them. And then all of a sudden my boss was like, wait, let me see those chips real quick. And I had a whole bin of these like tiny chips. I mean, they'd fit on, you know, on your fingernail, on your, on your little finger. And so, you know, you're kind of looking at him and he'd like pull out his like, you know, the whole like, like look at it kind of thing. And he's like, oh yeah, it's a counterfeit. I'm like, what? Yeah. Someplace overseas, there's factories that are pumping out these counterfeit tiny chips well, how much could they be worth? And he's like, well, you know, this tiny one right here is worth five bucks. And they came in a bin of a thousand of them. Oh, and so this chip is a dummy chip. There's nothing, there's no logic or circuitry actually within it. And that stamp, do you see how that stamp is slightly off? Do you see how it, I'm, and I'm looking like through like his like five lenses of magnification and I'm going, you know, 
okay, I can see how that doesn't look like this. He goes, it's a counterfeit. And so we had to deal with counterfeit computer chips all the time that would be coming into a factory and we had to sort them out and return them back to the uh, manufacturer, right? Or wherever our source was, whatever that's all about. And you start to see things, everything from, you know, sneakers to handbags to walking on the streets of New York. And you want to buy a watch? Ten bucks. Yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah. Rolex, I'm pretty sure has an X in it, you know, at the end of that word, you know, and so you like... You've got to be mindful that this world has counterfeits in it because there are those that are counterfeiters. And here, this is Jesus trying to uh, sharing a story so that the listener would be reminded and educated that beware, there's a world in which there are counterfeits and a counterfeiter who is placing these counterfeits all around. See, with this story right here, we just go, okay, it's a great story, that's great, and we can come up with whatever interpretation we want. No, here's the thing. We're going to jump some verses like we did a few weeks ago. We're going to jump from verse 30 where we ended here in Matthew 13, and we're going to jump to verse 36. Why? Because Jesus is going to explain the parable we just heard. Let's look at his explanation. Matthew 13, verse 36 through 43. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, I love it. Desire to want to know the truth. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, Jesus did, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Verse 38, the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. There you go. There's the great counterfeiter right there. He's the great counterfeiter that places the counterfeits. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Verse 41, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. See, what I love about this parable and the very first one we saw in this chapter is you don't have to like guess or wonder or figure out. Jesus just lays it out for us as to what we're talking about here. Satan plants fakes in this world. And by in this world, the world that we live in. And because the church opens its doors to the people of this world including you and I, we live in this world. We're not of this world, Christian, but we live in this world. You're going to get counterfeiters that even will work their way into a church, into ministries. Jesus just wants his people to be aware, his followers to be aware. Don't be surprised when you come across counterfeits. Don't be shocked when you come across counterfeits. I want to encourage you with this. The reason that Satan seeks to plant these counterfeits, these fake followers in the world and in the church. The reason why Satan desires to do that is, here's why, is because he cannot uproot the true believer. Satan can't uproot the true believer. He can't. So what is he going to try to do? He's going to try to flood the market with counterfeits. 
hoping that then that will cause those that are the true followers to be discouraged and to be ineffective. But just know this, Christian, Satan cannot uproot you. He can't. He's not that powerful. He hates that I'm saying this right now. Otherwise, there's this fear like, oh, well, I have you know, so many counterfeiters and I don't know, maybe I could be taken and I could be... Stop it. No. 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 See, if you're in God's hand, you're a child of God, you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sins, you're held securely in God's hands. No one can remove you from His hand. Satan cannot remove you from His hand. Satan is so frustrated that he cannot pry God's fingers away from you, Christian. And so what does he do? Counterfeiters. And the thing is, just because there's the presence of counterfeits around, it doesn't make the real, the real thing go away. True believers are true believers. What if we're surrounded by a sea of counterfeits? You're still a believer. Let your light shine. Let your light shine even in a world where there are counterfeits. And you've heard me use this phrase in weeks previous too. Instead of saying counterfeit, we're saying counterfeit because of the, the way we're looking at this message this morning, but we called that type of a person a make-believer. A person who has all the appearances of being a Christian, but their heart is not towards God. They're, they may be very well practiced at doing the things of God in the sense of the outward, but in their heart, their heart has not been changed. And so... Make-believers can and have made ministry difficult for true believers. That's for sure. Because you serve alongside with somebody or you serve with people over time only to find out maybe later down the road that the true colors come out and you just go, wait a second, I thought you were a Christian this whole time. Like, I don't, what? What? Paul describes this because, you know, if you've ever experienced that, where you're just going, oh, you know, we're close Christian friends. We're going to be, you know, it's just wonderful how we both love Jesus. And then to have a moment where you just, you realize, wait, you don't, you're not showing the fruits of being a believer. And as I've watched you longer and longer in your life, it's more and more, it seems more and more confirmed that you're not. It can be very discouraging for the believer to see that and just go and then start to have doubt come into a believer's heart where it's like, oh no, maybe I'm going to be like that. Maybe I'm going to fall away. Maybe, maybe I, and then it gets us sidetracked and ineffective. See, that's the tactic of the enemy. If I put counterfeits around believers, maybe it'll cause the believers to be disillusioned and start to question their own salvation. And while they do that, the time starts ticking off in their life and they're ineffective for the gospel. Satan can't uproot the believer, but you know what Satan can try to do? Discourage you. Paul had that happen to him too. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25 and 26. 2 Corinthians 11, verse uh, 25 and 26. Uh, This talks about the challenges that Paul faced. Just a small glimpse of the challenges he faced in his ministry. Three times I was beaten with rods. Wow. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. So far, none of those things have happened to me. I'm like, wow, man. But look, look at these other things that have come, come uh, against him. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. And this is the one I wanted you to see. Danger from false brothers. Counterfeits. Paul experienced it as well, where he dealt with the consequence of counterfeits in the ministry 
And so if you encounter that, realize this, that Jesus told you that that would happen. Don't be surprised, but also, Christian, don't be discouraged. You continue to let your light shine and you continue to walk after the Lord. You know, why, why does God allow this? Why would such a, such a gracious God allow this counterfeit in the world? Why would he allow this evil in this world? Here's why. Because God is gracious and God gives the evildoer an opportunity to come and know him. And you know who that includes? That includes you. Aren't you glad that God was gracious in your life to give you time to come to know him? Sometimes we just, why? Why is there so much evil and the evildoers and evil people? Wait, you mean like you? And me? Here's a question that gets asked a lot. And I just thought about this answer that I, I, I just, I think that's the one that I want to give in most cases. Why does evil exist in this world? You know, this question, why does evil exist in the world? For the person that asks that question, if they ask me that question, to just kind of point at them and just say, because you exist. That's why there's evil in this world. Oh, whoa. Well, you want to talk the truth. You know why there's evil in the world? Because there's people like you and me. And that person and that person and that person. That's why there's evil in this world. Because of the sin nature of us as humans. That's why there's evil in this world. It's not because of God. But see, that's the answer that people don't want to hear. They want to hear that the evil is from someone else. But the Bible clearly states that, wait, we all have the issue within us. And without Christ working in our heart and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us, we're just going to continue to contribute to the evil in this world. So why does God allow these counterfeits to, to be in the same field? These, these make Why would God allow a make-believer to come into a church? You know why? Because God loves that person. You know, God is not slack, but God is patient. He would, he's desiring that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of who he is. That's God's desire. So does God love the counterfeit, the make-believer? He absolutely does with all of his heart. Jesus died for the make-believer. And so he gives them time. And so you know what? The interesting thing is, as we look at this parable, we're being called to give them time as well. What? I don't know if I like that. Yeah, but here's the thing. God in the flesh is the one that's actually telling us what the story means. So you don't get to write your own interpretation of this parable. Jesus is very clear about what it means. You know, you and I, Christian, we are planted in this world to bear fruit. We were planted in this world, in the field of this world, so that we would bear fruit for God's kingdom. I'm just here, God put me here, and I'm just going to take up some space and put in my 70 years or so, and then just go be with him. No, you were planted here in this world so that you would bear fruit and that that fruit would carry on for generation after generation. You have a mission in life. You have a purpose in life. You were planted in this world so that in your family you would bear fruit for God's kingdom. You were planted in this world so that in, at your job, yes, the job you have now, yes, the one that you may not like, God has planted you there so that you would bear fruit for Him there. God has planted you in your school so that you would bear fruit for God in your school. We're not called to just take up space. We're not called to just be, I'm just a plant here. What do you do? I'm just for decoration. No, God, we are not for decoration. We are called to bear fruit. You know, Jesus said this in John 15, verse 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the one that bears no fruit is the one that is apart from God. And then it goes on, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide with me, look at the same comparison here. He is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Wait, did we just read about these weeds being gathered and thrown into the fire at the, at the end of the age? Yeah. And then in John 15, verse 8, Jesus says this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What's the proof of being a disciple of Jesus? The proof of it? You're bearing fruit. And you know, the, the added benefit of this as well that comes, God is glorified when Christians bear fruit. We are made to bear fruit. You were created to bear fruit. So go bear fruit for God. Don't hide it. Don't be discouraged by ones that look like the real deal, but they aren't. Bear fruit for God. I want to show you this uh, little Venn diagram, if you will, of, of a wheat, the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, as the ESV Bible would say. The wheat, it's this cereal type of plant, a grain. What about tares? Tares refers to a plant called, or uh, something called darnel, or we would call it in America, rye or ryegrass. Um, wheat, what is it used for? It's used to make flour and other products for human consumption. Tares, they're weed. Wheat, it represents those with kindness, righteousness, um, the children of God. Tares represents those who are evil and do not follow righteousness. Now wait, with the Venn diagram, where do they overlap? In the middle here. They're both plants. They both look like grass in the early stages and they both are represented in the Bible. Those are the common things about them. And these are the differences about them. And Jesus is saying, don't get confused by the fact that they overlap. You must know why they are distinctly different. I want to show you some comparison pictures of wheat in the early stages with this darnel or this tear or this ryegrass. Look at this. You're just walking through a field. Got wheat, got tares. And keep in mind, they're not like grouped separately. They're growing in and amongst each other. Root systems all intertangled and all of that stuff. And so you don't want to pull out the tears. You pull out the tears and the root system and all that, you're going to start to damage. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But look at that. I mean, it's, I mean, I, again, born in Queens, New York. Don't, I'm no agriculture expert here. But I'm just going to say that's close enough for me to miss. I just be like, I just would think that, I would think that one was at a different stage of development, maybe like a couple days or weeks behind than the other. I wouldn't think that they were two distinct things. But here's the thing, and the parable makes this clear. Don't touch them. I mean, the thing is that the ones that were working the field, the ones that were out in the field, they're the ones that told the owner of the field, hey, um, excuse me, do you realize that, that you have weeds in your field, that there's tares? And the workers would know because the workers, workers handle it all the time. And for them, they can very quickly go, you do realize, uh, owner, you know that, that, that these are growing with these. Do you want us to take care of getting these out? And very clearly, in verse 29, know lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the 
uh, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this idea of at this stage of growth, leave them both. Leave them both. And it's just like, wait, but if you know that that's going to, you know what that's going to become, you know. God is so gracious. God is so gracious that he says, leave them. There is a time coming where we will make a separation and the weeds, the tares will be gathered and burned and the wheat will be harvested and taken to the, to the, the barns, the storehouse. I want to show you a picture of what it looks like later in the harvest, what these two look like and the differences between these two. Do you see a difference between these two? It's a little bit more of a difference. And the thing is, this one isn't even the darnel or the tear here. It, it becomes even darker and blacker than the wheat, which has that golden color to it. And even, you know, the way that each one of the, those, the kernels are, it's like alternating with wheat. With the darnel, they group in bunches and then another bunch and then another bunch and then another bunch. The thing with darnel over here, the weed on the left side here, um, it was known, I mean, in large quantities, it's poisonous. Uh, the Romans uh, said that it caused blindness. In fact, the Romans had a phrase, and the phrase, uh, lolio victer, which means to live on darnell. And it was a phrase that you would say, like you would look at somebody, you'd be like, ah, lolio victer. And it's like, what does that mean? That means that person's living on darnell, meaning they're dim-witted. That person's been eating too much darnell. Like they're up here, whoo-hoo, they're gone. It, had, it, was, it was so well known in the ancient world that weed was so well known. Here's some other symptoms. It would cause drunkenness, trembling, inability to walk, hindered speech, vomiting. Wait, it sounds like some kind of, yeah, it kind of does sound like, doesn't it? Anyway, um, the French called this grass ivre, which means drunkenness. So the French called that drunkenness. And then we, um, ivre, we've taken it and we anglize that word and we came up with the word rye or ray. So when we talk about rye grass, that's kind of what we would say it would mean. So the French origin of the word is the word stupefy. And it just talks about the effect of this. I mean, there's some historical things. In 1861, uh, at, a, at a workhouse, 80 inmates were affected. They ate oatmeal that had this darnel mixed in with the wheat. You had to be very careful. That's the other thing. You had to be really careful that you didn't harvest these together because then as the Darnell starts to get mixed in with the wheat and it's being served to people, people would die from this. And so it's not just like, oh, it's just an inconvenience. Oh no, it was even beyond an inconvenience. And what God is saying is, let it continue to grow. God, you know what? Here's the thing I think is so important. God is more concerned about us bearing lasting fruit than for us trying to identify weeds. Please think about that for just a moment. God is more concerned about you, child of God, for you to bear fruit than for you to suddenly become a weed, a plant inspector to try to find weeds. Because you know what starts to happen is you start to get these um, witch hunts, if you will, or this um, like this idea of okay, we gotta we gotta root out all the evil that's here. Uh, okay, yeah, that's gonna take you the rest of your life, and you're not gonna be successful. How about this? How about you just do what you're actually supposed to do, which is bear fruit. The wheat is not called to go fight the weeds and uproot the weed. That would be like a crazy scene in the field if the wheat was fighting the weeds. The wheat, you know what the wheat's called to do? Grow and bear fruit. That's your job. That's what you're called to do. 
And yet, by human nature, we don't like injustice. And if we forget that God is a God of justice, who in his perfect time will deal with everything, if we forget that, you know what we start to do? I'm going to take care of it myself. Not your job. Not your job. Here's the thing. Every one of us has limited resources, and we should all focus on planting rather than pulling. We should focus on planting, sowing seeds, and being that wheat that bears fruit rather than Oh, let's pull weeds. I'm just really glad that God's like, listen, I'm not putting, putting you on weed pulling duty. Thank you, God. Thank you. You must love me so much. And yet, there's some Christians that are like, you know what? I think I'm, I'm called to pull weeds for God. You're called to bear fruit for God. Remember, the Bible is very clear. The Bible tells us, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't have to worry about that. God's going to take care of that in his time. And if he takes longer than what you think, just be glad that God took longer on you so that you had an opportunity to know him. You know, God wants his field to be so healthy that the weeds have a hard time growing. I experienced this when we were living in Arizona, like we lived out in this place called Paulden and it's, you know, it's, it's high desert is what they would call it. And so the predominant color that you see is a tan brown. Like that's the color that you, here you look out, generally speaking, you see green. There you see tans and browns. That's like the natural color unless monsoon. But generally speaking, it's that color. And so we had our backyard, we had our four kids and it was like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to put in an in-ground sprinkler system and have some grass here for the kids to play in. And so we got the grass and everything. And I got to tell you, like, I was really pumped about our grass. Having this patch of emerald green, like this like green square in the middle of, we were in the high desert, but like just, you know, I want to show you a picture. Like this was from a summer, this was 10 years ago, actually. I mean, I'm just like, like Jaya and Xander, like with a sprinkler out in the grass and like the willow tree in the background. I mean, you can see the, can you see the tan out there, like in the fields, like behind there? But right here, look, where we were, it was just green. It was so green. I mean, there's times where I would just sit out and just look at my grass. Like here, you're probably like, what? Like there, green was just such, not of such a common color, if you will. And so you're just like, oh, for me, the smell of gasoline and cut grass reminded me of, again, childhood growing up with dad mowing the lawn. Just like, I'm like, oh, yeah. And so I was that guy now, like mowing my lawn. In fact, there was even times where I would just mow it in the middle of the week just because it made me feel good. And I had two mowers. I had the gas one, but then if I just wanted to just mow just for the feel of it, I'd pull out the rotary mower and just walk the grass and just listen to the little clippings go and just smelling the grass and just going, ah, and then you just lay down and just be like, oh, it's just cushy. It's just great. And you know, the thing is weeds had such a hard time growing because the healthy grass was so dense. Weeds couldn't, they had a hard time getting a foothold. You know where they got a foothold? Wherever the sprinkler wasn't quite watering as well and near the fringes and the edges. But man, in the middle and the main part of the grass, it was so healthy. That's my prayer for our church. My prayer for our church is that as the word is being taught and as you don't just listen and ingest the word and just keep it for yourself, as you share the word with others and you let God's light shine through you, that we would be so healthy that if somebody comes in with ulterior motives or they're a make-believer, that they would just go, I'm having a hard time, I'm having a hard time doing what I want to do here. I, I'm either going to have to leave or I'm going to have to consider and change. That's the kind of church that I continue to pray that we are, that we're so healthy that weeds have a difficult time trying to find and take root here. 
So what does that mean? Does that mean we start to pull out the insecticide and start pulling weeds? No. It means you start feeding the grass. It means you start helping people grow in their walk with the Lord because that's what brings about a healthy church. I've had a really heavy burden towards, uh, I mean, a, a heavy heart towards churches that, especially in our community, um, and I don't know them by particular by name, but it just, I mean, I know they exist, ones that don't teach the word. Do you understand what that is? That's a field that's ripe for weeds to just show up. Because weeds aren't going to be crowded out by anything. In fact, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm, my heart is heavy for churches where weeds can just come, a make-believer can walk into a church and be like, all right, look at the pickings here. This is going to be great. You know what about, I love about our church so much is I know that so many of you have a knowledge of God's word and you're growing in your knowledge of God's word. Even if you don't know like all the verses and everything, you can, God is the Holy Spirit has given you discernment so that when you see something, sometimes, you know, a person may walk in and you're just like, something's not, something's up. I'm not really sure. Let me go over and have a conversation and see. My prayer is again, that that person, that their heart would change and they would realize the love God has for them and they would drop whatever agenda they have and go, God, what's your agenda for my life? That they would come to know Christ. But if they choose not to do that, my prayer is that then they leave. Why? Because I don't want them to cause damage. Now, oh, so Jim, you're on the patrol. You're on the hunt. I'm not on any hunt. You know what I get to do? I just get to feed people the word. Jim, what about church discipline? And if Okay, here's the thing. This is not an issue about church discipline or blatant outward sin. If that's the case, we deal with it. The Bible's actually very clear about dealing with sin within the church and blatant outward sin. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when you don't know whether or not somebody, where they stand. And maybe for you, you kind of get that sense where you're like, I don't know something about that person. Let me just tell you this. Have you ever been wrong when you've said that about somebody? Where you've been like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that person. And they ended up being one of your best friends. Or how about the other way where you're like, this person, they're so awesome. Like I've only met them for five minutes, but I can already tell you like they're incredible. And then like, you know, six months later, you you don't see them around anymore and you start to see who they are. And you're just like, wow, I got that one wrong. Just think about the number of times you've been wrong about people. This is why Jesus is saying, hey, the job of you trying to determine the wheat from the, the weeds, that's not your job. You're actually not that great at it. It's not your job. And so for me as a pastor, where do we start out with? We start out with, I just take people for what they've said. I take them at their word. Until they've proven something else otherwise, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt because that's the way that I would want to be treated myself. And I just want to go, you know what? Maybe they, they may have some little idiosyncrasies or some little things about a person's personality where at first it may make you go, oh, that's different. But let's be honest. We all have those little idiosyncrasies that anybody could look at us and be like, yeah, they're kind of weird, right? Aren't you glad when people actually give you some time and give you an opportunity that actually give you a chance to go, let me get to know them a little bit. And here's the blessing is what Jesus is saying here in this parable is if you give it enough time, At some point, as we get further down the road, it becomes very obvious where a person stands. And I'm just so thankful that he hasn't called us to pull weeds. Think about these examples where you've ever had the wrong read on a person. Think about the Pharisees with Jesus. Oh, he's using the power of Satan to do these miracles. Eh, Wrong. He's God standing in front of you. How? Oh, man. And you're supposed to be the smart ones. How about Paul when he was standing there as Stephen was being stoned with approval? 
holding the cloaks. Yep, look at that one. Later, multiple times, two or three times in the scripture for Paul to describe how heartbroken he was about how wrong he was when he read Stephen. He was wrong. Don't get so prideful that you think you're such a great person at reading people. Because Jesus here has taken the responsibility of you trying to determine when at an early stage here, hmm, where do people line up? Are they saved? Are they not saved? Hey, check it out. Not your job. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to sow the word, not to go, has it taken root? Has it taken root? That's not your job. Let God take care of what his job is. He's really good at it. He's perfect. Perfect at it. Think about this. Have you ever had a a time reading a person in the wrong way? Consider the disciples and how every one of them had Judas all wrong. He's amazing. Let's give him the money bag. Why? Because he's the most amazing of us. He's like, if there was the greatest disciple, it's easily Judas. How wrong we can all be. So let's not put our faith in our ability to discern. I'm not saying that some of us don't have, maybe out of experience a little bit, the odds are a little better for us, but let's not suddenly just go, yeah, I'm really good 100% of the time of knowing people and I especially know whether people are saved or not saved. Ooh, you're not qualified for that. Because, even, because to know that, you would have to know a person's heart. You'd have to know their heart to know that. And I am not qualified. Jim Thomas is not qualified or responsible to judge another person's heart. Jesus is exclusively qualified and responsible to do that. Because think about this. Only a person who has seen the whole life of another human being from conception all the way through their last breath here on this earth. Only a person who has seen every moment of a person's life and not only seen it, but seen it perfectly with perfect understanding. Only that person can make a judgment. Only the one who sees perfectly the whole story. Well, my children, I mean, you know, I, you know, I gave birth to them. And so, I, no, 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 you have to know everything about them, including what's going on in their heart from every moment, from conception to their last breath. Only Jesus is qualified for that. You and I are not. We don't know a person's heart. Yes, the Bible says that if a person loves the Lord, these are the kind of fruits, the the fruit that they will show. But even then, you just got to know there's some people that are really good make-believers and in the earlier stages, you know what it looks like? It looks just like wheat. And even the best of us can be fooled. Remember, 11 disciples were fooled by Judas. Three years with him, didn't even see it coming. Look at this, Proverbs 15, verse 3. This is God and his view and how he sees us. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God knows everything. He knows where the tares are. He knows where the wheat is. He knows it at all times. Like for me, we talked about, uh, um, in Matthew, we talked about wolves, you know, and how wolves look like sheep. They come into the flock of God. They want to ravage. You know what the assurance is for me? I'm an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. But just know this. For me, the assurance I have is that God knows where every single wolf is right now. So I don't need to. And at the right moments when God wants to inform me about something, he will. And then whatever he wants me to do will take action in that direction. But that's really few and far between. 
And you know what it frees me up to do? It frees me up to love you, to share God's word. It, rather than, I would be a totally different pastor if it was like, Good morning, welcome to Telios. Right? You know, it's like, God's like, hey, I'll take that because you can't do that. You don't have perfect vision. You just serve and love people. And from time to time, I'll let you know something that you may not know and then go take care of it the way I've asked you to. And then be free to keep... It's, God is so good to us. The problem is we want to take His responsibilities. Look at this, Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. His vision is perfect and it goes from the beginning to the end. So, the Bible, you may say, again, you may be challenged though, because this parable, it's not one of those where it's like, oh yeah, cool, that's great, wait. We all wanted, we all, I think some of us, all of us, has this little bit of us. It's like, can I still pull a weed here or there, please? Can I just, it's so obvious to me. Can I just get it? God's like, stop, don't touch it. (laughs) The Bible does say that we could tell a tree by its fruit. And so what I've seen some people do is they go, well, look at that. I'm going to take those passages and that verse, and I'm going to determine other people's, what kind of tree they are by their fruit. But just know that primarily that's designed not so that you would determine another person's salvation. That's so that you would determine your own salvation. That's there so that you would look at yourself, not other people. Oh, wait, I like it better when I'm using it to... Can't I use the Bible to look at other people? (laughs) The Bible is a sword that will cut the gray areas of your life into black and white. Wait, the gray areas of other people's lives? You first. It's a sword that's first turned inward on yourself don't sit there and start swinging it at other people you know you read it you're like oh that's really convicting that's really good for me and so when you come across those passages where it's like oh the fruit the fruit yeah i know people and their fruit no no you're supposed to pull up a mirror and go how about you jim how about you and your fruit can somebody if they were looking at you jim just looking at you not hearing a single word you said could they know that you're a child of god do you you show the fruits like wheat do you see can they see the fruit Oh, I want, to, I want you to see this verse here. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith, not your neighbor, not your spouse, not, your, not the other people at the church. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, talking to the Christian, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You see what Paul did there? Hey, don't you realize you're a Christian? Unless you actually don't pass the test, in which case you're not. Oh, can I use this on somebody else? No, did you miss the whole first half of this verse? Examine yourself, test yourself. It's not about other people. And I think too often we use the scriptures to attack others when really it's meant to divide us, divide the parts of black and white, the stuff that is not of the Lord and the stuff that is of the Lord. So speaking of harvest time, we showed some pictures. The older and more mature, more mature the wheat gets, the more it does this thing. I want to show you this picture of wheat. And this just really struck me. I've seen pictures like this. Look, you've probably seen pictures of wheat like this, right? This is you're like harvest time, right? Like, wow. And I was like, man, wheat seems to be, you know, it's always a windy day where the wheat is, right? It's just like, 
It may or may not be windy, but that's not the point of this picture. Actually, the point of this picture is the older and more fruitful the wheat is, the more that the wheat, heavy with its blessings and fruit, bows itself towards the earth. And it's a picture of the Christian. The longer you've walked with God, the longer you've known the goodness of God, the longer that God has worked in you to bear fruit, the more humble you should be as you bow before the all-righteous, all-knowing God. That we would look at something as humble as wheat and say, that's how I should be. Man, if I've known the Lord for years and years, I should be more and more like this. Man, God has poured blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. There's a, see, wait, wait, Jim, what, what does the, the tear do? What does the darnell do? Here's the thing. At harvest time, the darnell is dark and stands straight up. And so at harvest time, hmm, I wonder where the weeds are. You can see them all. They're all standing high. Proud. The wheat in humility, because it's bearing fruit, is bowed low. I think it's just so powerful. Like these illustrations and the parables Jesus uses, these are not accidental. Everything in them and the details in them are important for us to remember. And remember, this message is not for your neighbor, it's for you. So true believer, we should bow in humility to God because he's blessed us so abundantly. And remember this, God is more concerned about planting the truth than searching for counterfeits. God will take care of that stuff. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross here as we take communion together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes though as we close this message? Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word. We pray that we would examine each of us ourselves. We would examine ourselves to see whether we bear the fruits of being your child. That we would examine ourselves to see if we are growing in our humility, to see if we are bowing ourselves further down in your awesome presence. I pray that if we realize that we aren't bearing as much fruit as we should be, that we've been afraid, we've been intimidated by counterfeits, we've been scared, wondering if we're going to be the next counterfeit. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to please fill us. You said, Jesus, you're going to give us a helper, the Holy Spirit. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be emboldened to share the truth. That we would not be afraid to let our light shine for you. And even if we find ourselves around counterfeits, that we would still, still bear fruit wherever you've planted us. I pray for the one that in their, they wonder how they can serve you and they're not sure, but Lord, you put them in a family and that you call them to bear fruit in their family. I pray for the one that wonders how they could serve you, and they're looking for a formal ministry, but Lord, you've given them a job. Lord, I pray that they would bear fruit for you in their job. For the one that's going to school, wondering how they can bear fruit for you, and thinking when I get older in college or when I'm an adult, I'll, uh, I'll bear fruit for Jesus. I pray for that one, that you would show them that they're called to bear fruit right now, right where they're at, right in school. For each of us, that we would bear fruit And Lord, I pray and we pray for those that are counterfeit. We pray, Lord, that they would hear your word and they would consider it. And Lord, that they would receive you as their savior and go from being a fake to being the real deal. And Lord, for those who are resistant against you and continually resistant, we pray, Lord, that you would protect your church from that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.